What a precious promise that there's coming a day when change and tears will be passed. And we look forward to that day. Some of you, even in this week, have known pain and tears. It is Mother's Day. Around America this morning, maybe many mothers woke up to a scene something like this. I won't ask how many of you got breakfast in bed or what resembled breakfast in bed, but I did read this week about a a man who was writing it about his neighbor children who told their mother not to lift a finger that they were going to take care of breakfast that morning. They got out three pots, two frying pans, a double boiler, three mixing bowls, a chopping board, six measuring spoons, eight serving dishes. And mom insisted it was the best instant oatmeal she'd ever tasted. (laughs) Mother's Day has its own particular struggles and challenges sometimes. And the reality is that I am aware, as many of you are, that Mother's Day can be painful. A number of years ago, Steve and Annie Chapman wrote a song entitled, An Ode to Mom, The chorus of it says, but if I'm alive when this day is done, I will be numbered among the ones who've lived through the wars and passed through the fires. Someday they might call me blessed, but today I'll settle for survivor. And sometimes surviving is all we can do in the struggles of life. And Mother's Day can be a painful time. It can be a painful time, perhaps if in this last year, your mother has stepped out of this life. Perhaps it's a painful time because you long to be a mom and God has not blessed you with a child. Perhaps it's a painful Sunday because you have a bad relationship with your mom or a bad relationship with your kids. Maybe it's just because you're a mom and you're struggling to juggle being a mom and a wife and a working mom and it wears on you or Maybe today you're experiencing a child who's rebelled and walked away from you or walked away from God. Or maybe it has nothing to do with Mother's Day. Maybe it's just that you are single and you'd really like to be married and you're lonely and you're wondering what's going on. Maybe it's illness that has struck you or it struck a loved one or financial stress or just struggling with depression and other emotions. Survival skills for moms and all of us. Peter writes a letter. We call it 1 Peter because there's another letter, 2 Peter. He writes a letter to people who are struggling. They are suffering. Indeed, they're being persecuted for their faith. And he gives a lot of counsel and wise words through the book. But as he comes to the end of the book, I think he sums up a lot of what he's been saying in that last section. And so I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles or on your electronic devices to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. Because Peter, in verses 10 through 14, highlights some survival skills for moms, but for all of us as well. Skills that allow us to stand firm in times of struggle and times of trouble. So let's back up to the verse Pastor Steve read a few moments ago, verse 10, and let's begin to think about what Peter is teaching us. And after you have suffered a little while, 
the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter says, if you and I want to survive and indeed thrive in the struggles and the trials of life, we need to cling to eternal truths, even when hard things occur. Because when hard things occur, what often happens to me, and I suspect to most of us, is that the emotions kick in. And we begin to wrestle with what is going on and why it's happening and how we're feeling. And that's not to deny our emotions. God has created us with them. But in the midst of those, we need to live not by our emotions, but by truth. We need to cling to eternal truths rather than being plunged into despair. It's easy to get wrapped up in diapers and carpooling and laundry or medical diagnoses, and bills that have to be paid, or other crises that are going on in our lives, and to forget truth. And so Peter deals with just two. There are certainly more he could have talked about. But in this verse, he brings our attention to two critical eternal truths that we need to hang on to. The first is that God is utterly gracious to followers of Jesus. Peter acknowledges that suffering is real after you have suffered a little while. In verses 8 and 9, right before this, he's talked about the fact that we have an enemy, that we have an adversary, that Satan is walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He knows life is hard, and Peter wants us to understand that in the midst of all of that, None of our trials are as big as the God of all grace. The God who cares for us is characterized by grace toward us. He's the God of all grace. He gives and He gives and He gives and He gives. And it's all grace. All the grace that all of us need for all the situations of life. Over the last few years, we've experienced the joys of supply chain shortages. And if nothing else, we can, we can say, well, that isn't around. We're short on that because of COVID, because it gets blamed for everything. Things that we never thought we would be short on. I mean, I've heard about parents trying to find amoxicillin for their kids, and it's hard to find. Well, I want you to know, there is no supply shortage when it comes to God's grace. He gives and He gives, and He gives. He is the God of all the grace that you and I could ever need for every situation in which we find ourselves. See, it's not just saving grace that Peter's talking about. Certainly, that is important. By grace, we are saved through faith in Christ alone. But grace is more than just saving grace. And Peter here is talking about grace that is there for every event of life. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in, and it's actually the same word all, in all good works. Everything we need 
to serve God, to survive and thrive in life, God gives. He's utterly gracious to the followers of Jesus. So, mom, the grace to juggle those crazy schedules that you have, it's available. The grace to pray for your children when what you really want to do is lay them out some days, that grace is available. The grace to discipline them in love. The grace to say no when it's hard to say no. It's available. Single moms, the grace to take care of your children, your family's needs without dad present. It's tough, but the grace is available. The grace to not be married when you really want to be. The grace to not have a child when you really want a child. The grace to deal with children who've rebelled and walked away from you or walked away from the faith. The grace to be sexually pure in a culture that bombards us with sexuality. The grace to deal with illnesses. The grace to deal with financial challenges. The grace to work at broken relationships. And any other scenario you can imagine, the God of all grace gives His grace to us. Peter says He has called us in the past to an eternal glory in the future in Christ. Do you know Christ? That's where all of this starts. The God of all grace gives grace to the followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this promise isn't available to you. But it can be. If you will turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone for your salvation today. So don't leave here this morning if you don't know Christ without talking to somebody. Or if you're watching online, call our office and talk to somebody about how you can come into a personal relationship with this God of grace through Jesus Christ. See, the first survival skill is to cling to eternal And there are certainly others, but these are the two that Peter focuses our attention on. If we're going to know those eternal truths and cling to them, we've got to study God's Word. We've got to learn God's Word. We've got to be in God's Word on a daily basis to remind ourselves of the truths that it's so easy for us to forget. Don't focus on the struggles. Focus on God's grace. Focus on eternity that's ahead Whatever is happening in life, look beyond today because only eternal truths will sustain us. There's nothing wrong with wanting a happy family, but that's not the ultimate goal. There's nothing wrong with wanting a new house or a new car or good health, but those things won't sustain us. Our ultimate goal has to be to know the God of all grace who by His grace walks with us through those struggles of life. Which brings us to the second survival skill in this passage. All right. I'm off track a little. Here we go. We need to recognize that eternal glory is ahead and trust God for what He is doing in our lives. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 says, We do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. Say, wait a minute. What I'm going through doesn't feel light and momentary. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, they're passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I had the opportunity less than a week ago to share that passage with Pete Wheelauer, one of the last times when I saw him where he was responsive, and one of the things he said to me is, I don't understand why, and I said, that's okay. This is the promise. What you are going through doesn't feel light and momentary, but in comparison to the eternal weight of glory, it's just a dot on the line. And so we cling to those truths that God is at work and doing something in our lives even when those hard things occur. Which then brings us to the second survival skill. Recognize Recognize that God is at work, even when we don't see it. Because in the midst of our struggles, it is easy for us to lose focus. It's easy for us to forget that God is sovereign, that He is indeed at work, because all we see are the struggles and the trials in front of us. So listen to what Peter says. The God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What Peter wants us to understand in this passage is that when we don't know why we're going through what we're going through, we must remember who is at work. See, we don't always know why. We don't always get an answer to what is happening. But He is the God of all grace. And notice the last word on the screen. He will Himself work in our lives. It's not that He sends messengers or angels. He is Himself at work. So we may not know why we are going through what we're going through, but we do know who is in charge of it. And we do know who is with us in the midst of it, the God of all grace. And when we don't know why, we do know some of what God is doing. God is at work, and He will continue to be at work. And Peter in this passage takes and he draws out Just two major purposes for which God allows struggles in our lives, for which God allows suffering in our lives, for which God allows trials in our lives. He says, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you See, we know one thing that God is doing through trials. Scripture tells us this over and over again. 
God is producing perseverance in us through our suffering. He's at work. He will restore us. He will make us whole again. The the word literally is a word that was used for mending broken fishing nets or for setting broken bones. Some of you walked in here this morning. Some of you are watching online today. And you have deep scars, maybe still open fresh wounds from struggles, from abuse, from other things that have impacted your heart and your life. I want you to know that the God of all grace can and will restore. He'll mend you. He'll confirm you. That word confirm is a word that deals with providing support so that we don't fall apart in our struggles. He'll strengthen us. He'll give us strength so we don't collapse under the heavy burden that you may be carrying right at this moment. He'll establish us. He'll give us a solid foundation so we're not swept away by troubles. When we bought our first home, in the backyard there was a metal shed that sat on a concrete foundation. And it was still full of the junk from the previous owner, so I cleaned it out so we could put our junk in there. One of the things that I cleaned out were heavy snow tire chains, because you couldn't use those in Ohio any longer, and I got rid of all of it. One really windy day, I was at the church office, and I got a call from Peggy, and she said, "Um, our shed is in the neighbor's yard. And I got home, and she was correct. That shed had flipped right over the fence into the neighbor's yard. And in that moment, I realized two things. The first was those snow chire chains were probably hanging there to give the shed some weight. The second thing was that that shed was not anchored into that concrete foundation. What good was it to have a foundation and not have it anchored into it? And yet across our country, across our world... There are people who may even know that God is there, may even believe at some level, but they've never anchored their lives into the foundation. You want stability in trials? You want to survive the struggles of life? You need to be anchored to the foundation of Jesus Christ, of His grace that is available, that all grace that is always available to us. When we don't know why, we do know some of what God is doing. He's producing perseverance in us if we'll anchor ourselves to Him. We also know that through what God is doing, He is bringing glory to Himself. So that when we stand firm in suffering, when we demonstrate perseverance, we are bringing glory to God. And so Peter breaks out in a doxology in verse 11. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is God's power that enables us to survive and to thrive. And so when that happens in our lives, He gets the glory. And so God is allowing things into our lives so that our lives can shine the light of His power to other people. And so Peter exhorts us to live out the truth, to persevere. The end of verse 12, he says, I've written briefly to you, and compared to Paul's letters, 1 Peter's pretty short. 
exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm knowing that though I may not get every why answered, I know who and I know at least a little bit of what God is doing. The second survival skill is to recognize, even when we don't see it, that God is always at work. That when we, though we don't know why, we know who is doing something. It's really one of my favorite stories, and I've used it before, but not in a while. And it's one that God brings to my mind when I'm going through struggles. So I thought I'd share it again so that maybe it'll pop into your mind when you're going through struggles as well. It's a story of a man who was on one of the barrier islands in the south, and it was the season of the year where the sea turtles come in and lay their eggs, and he was watching as a rather large female sea turtle made her way in and and dug a hole and laid her eggs, and then to give her some privacy, he left, but he went back the next morning hoping to find that spot and make sure it was protected. What he found instead was the, the, the path of the sea turtle heading away from the nest, but not heading back to the water, instead heading inland into the dunes. And so he followed the path and he found her, and by the time he got there, she was exhausted, covered with sand, being baked by the sun, and so concerned for her, he dumped some seawater over her and covered her with sea oats and went to find the park ranger. The park ranger came back with a jeep, and let's let him pick up the story from there. Says, I watched in horror as he flipped her over on her back, wrapped tire chains around her front legs, and hooked the chains to the trailer hitch on his Jeep. Then he took off, yanking her body forward so fast that her open mouth filled with sand and disappeared underneath her as her neck bent so far back I feared it would break. The ranger hauled her over the dunes and down onto the beach. I followed the path that the prow of her shell cut in the sand. At the ocean's edge, he unhooked her and turned her right side up again. She lay motionless in the surf as the water lapped at her body, washing the sand from her eyes and making her skin shine again. Then a particularly large wave broke over her, and she lifted her feet slightly, moving her back legs as she did. As I watched, she revived. Every fresh wave brought her to life until one of them made her light enough to find a foothold and push off back into the water that was her home. And here's the point. Watching her swim slowly away and remembering her nightmare ride through the dunes, I noted that sometimes it's hard to tell whether you are being killed or saved by the hands that turn your life upside down. Sometimes God turns our lives upside down. It's never to harm us. It is for our salvation. It's for our sanctification. It is to teach us perseverance. It's to bring glory to God. And we survive best in those times when we're flipped upside down by saying, I don't like this. I don't want this. But I believe God's at work here, even when I don't see it. There's a third survival skill in this passage. And that is to remember we are not alone in the struggles, even when it feels like it. Now, Peter has already talked about what God is doing, so he's not going to focus on the fact that God is with us. He is, and that's a truth we ought to cling to. 
But here, Peter's focus is on God's people being with us in the struggles, that our struggles are not unique. As Paul would say, they're, they're common to man's struggles. And so Peter points out that we are connected to other believers around the globe. We're connected to what we often call the universal body of Christ. That there are other believers in other places who are going through similar or even harder circumstances than ours. And we're all one in the eyes of God. He gives four connections in these verses. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who likewise is chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. He begins by talking about Silvanus. We know him better as Silas. Silas was apparently the faithful brother who had written all this down as Peter dictated it. May have also been the one who carried the message to those believers. But it's kind of odd to see Silas here with Peter, isn't it? Because when we think of Silas, we think of Silas being with Paul in the book of Acts. And yet here he is ministering to Peter. And it just kind of shows us that when you're moving in the world of followers of Jesus, sometimes it's a small world because we're connected to each other. And he says Silas is an example of a faithful brother. He's an example of what I have been challenging you to do which is stand firm in the grace of God. Then he talks about she who is at Babylon, and there's a lot of debate about who is this. She is probably used here because the word ecclesia, the word for church, is feminine. I think this is a reference to to the church. Babylon is probably not literal geographic Babylon. Peter is probably using this as a word picture. Because just as Babylon was the place of exile and suffering for the Jews, the people of God in the Old Testament, so Rome is the place of suffering and persecution for God's people in the New Testament. So our best guess is that Peter is saying, the church at Rome greets you. By the way, she is likewise chosen. She's chosen just like God chose you. You're connected together back in chapter 1, verse 1. Peter calls them, as we'll see in a moment, the elect. You have been together, chosen, and placed by God in the same body. And then he talks about Mark, my son. That's John Mark. Remember John Mark, the guy who went home on Paul's first missionary journey that Paul wouldn't take on the second missionary journey, that he considered him to be a failure? And Barnabas comes along and restores him back to ministry. And now we find Mark here connected to Peter. In fact, most scholars believe that Mark's gospel is actually the reminiscences of Peter. And so Mark is my son, my close connected one. There is this body of Christ and he says, I'm connected to you believers and you believers and Silas are connected and you're connected to the church here and you're connected to Mark. And it's just a reminder of what he said back in verse 1 of chapter 1. You are elect exiles of the dispersion. You are scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, but you are connected. You're connected to each other. 
And our missionaries around the globe and our ministries around the globe connect us and remind us that the body of Christ is a lot bigger than just us. But Peter also in these verses points out that we need to be connected to believers where we are. Occasionally I run across people who say, well, I'm part of the universal church. I don't need to be part of a local church because I'm part of the larger body of Christ. Well, that's true, but the larger body of Christ manifests itself in local congregations. And the New Testament knows nothing of believers who are part of the universal church who aren't part of a local church. And so in this verse, he says, greet one another with the kiss of love. That was a cultural thing, men with men, women with women. It was not a sexual thing. It was a greeting showing love and respect and concern for each other. Like today, we would do a firm handshake or an arm around the shoulder to say, I care about you. I'm connected to you. I love you. And then Peter says, we're also bound together by God's peace, that all of us who are in Christ have the shalom of God resting on us, and it connects us together. When we're going through hard times, we need to remember that we're not alone. Sometimes it feels like it. Sometimes our tendency is to pull back and to withdraw. Sometimes our tendency is to sit and say, all right, people need to minister to me, and they should be, but we fail, we're human. That's when you need to reach out and minister to somebody else or reach out and let somebody know you're struggling and need that help and comfort and encouragement. We need to live out this connection. We often say to folks when they're coming into Berean that the, the best place for you to get connected is through our Sunday school classes. Those are our small groups for adults. That's where you'll get to know people instead of just rubbing shoulders with a couple hundred people in here. Get involved in ministry. That's where you'll really get to know people in the trenches. Reach out and minister to other people. I guess this is my day for turtles. The late Alex Haley, who was the author of the book Roots that was made into a miniseries, used to have a poster like this on the wall of his office because he wanted people to ask the question, why do you have a picture of a turtle on a fence post? And he would say, it's because of a lesson that was taught to me by my friend John Gaines. If you see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know he had some help. He didn't get there by himself. And he said, people look at me and they think I am so important. You need to understand I didn't get where I am by myself. And you and I don't survive in trials by ourselves. We need each other. And so Peter draws this letter to a close by saying, if we're going to survive, we need to cling to eternal truths, recognize that God is always at work, and remember that we are not alone in the struggles. And that begins with having a personal relationship with God through Jesus. Do you? If you do, then understand that you can trust Him. This week I was reminded of a prayer that's called St. Patrick's Breastplate Prayer. And I thought it's a great prayer for moms and all of us. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, 
God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me. What a great reminder for us each and every day. Because if we're going to survive and thrive in the trials of life, we need to anchor our lives to God's truth, to God's character, to God's people. Let's pray. Father, you know the heart and the life circumstance of every person in here today. You know those who are rejoicing and those who are grieving. You know those who are thriving and those who are struggling, just trying to survive. May your word and your grace minister to them. May your people encourage them. And may they anchor their lives in who you are and what you are doing as the God of all grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.